Book Fifth of the Joyful Wisdom, Part Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Joyful Wisdom by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. Book Fifth, We Fearless Ones. Three five six. In what manner Europe will always become quote, more artistic? Unquote. Providing a living still enforces even in the present day, paren, in our transition period when so much ceases to enforce, in paren, a definite role on almost all male Europeans, their so-called callings. Some have liberty, an apparent liberty, to choose this role themselves, but most have it chosen for them. The result is strange enough. Almost all Europeans confound themselves with their role when they advance in age. They themselves are the victims of their, quote, good acting, unquote. They have forgotten how much chance, whim, and arbitrariness swayed them when their, quote, calling, unquote, was decided, and how many other roles they could perhaps have played. For it is now too late, Looked at more closely, we see that their characters have actually evolved out of their role, nature out of art. There were ages in which people believed, with unshaken confidence, yea, with piety, in their predestination for this very business, for that very mode of livelihood, and would not at all acknowledge chance, or the fortuitous role, or arbitrariness therein. Ranks, guilds, and hereditary trade privileges succeeded, with the help of this belief, in rearing those extraordinary broad towers of society which distinguished the Middle Ages, and of which at all events one thing remains to their credit, capacity for duration. Paren, and duration is a value of the first rank on earth, and paren. But there are ages entirely the reverse, the properly democratic ages, in which people tend to become more and more oblivious of this conviction, and a sort of impudent conviction and quite contrary mode of viewing things comes to the front, the Athenian conviction which is first observed in the epoch of Percules, the American conviction of the present day, which wants also more and more to become a European conviction, whereby the individual is convinced that he can do almost anything, that he can play almost any role, whereby everyone makes experiments with himself, improvises, tries anew, tries with delight, whereby all nature ceases and becomes art. The Greeks have adopted this role creed, an artistic creed, if you will, underwent step by step, as is well known, a curious transformation, not in every respect worthy of imitation. They became actual stage players, and as such they enchanted, they conquered all the world, and at last even the conqueror of the world. Paren, for the Greek colors, Historio, conquered Rome, and not Greek culture, as the naive are accustomed to say. End paren. 
What I fear, however, and what is at present obvious, if we desire to perceive it, is that we modern men are quite on the same road already, and wherever man begins to discover in what respect he plays a role, and to what extent he can be a stage player, he becomes a stage player. A new flora and fauna of men thereupon springs up, which cannot grow in more stable, more restricted eras, or is left, quote, at the bottom, unquote, under the ban and suspicion of infamy. Thereupon the most interesting and insane periods of history always make their appearance, in which, quote, stage players, unquote, all kinds of stage players, are the real masters. Precisely thereby another species of man is always more and more injured, and in the end made impossible. Above all the great, quote, architects, unquote, the building power is now being paralyzed. The courage that makes plans for the distant future is disheartened. There begins to be a lack of organizing geniuses. Who is there who would now venture to undertake works for the completion of which millenniums would have to be reckoned upon? The fundamental belief is dying out, on the basis of which one could calculate, promise and anticipate the future in one's plan, and offer it as a sacrifice thereto that in fact man has only value and significance in so far as he is a stone in a great building for which purpose he has first of all to be solid he has to be a quote, stone unquote. above all not a stage player in short alas this fact will be hushed up for some considerable time to come that which from henceforth will no longer be built, and can no longer be built, is a society in the old sense of the term. To build this structure, everything is lacking, above all the material. None of us are any longer material for a society. That is a truth which is seasonable at present. It seems to me a matter of indifference that meanwhile the most short-sighted, perhaps the most honest, and at any rate the noisiest species of men of the present day, our friend the socialists, believe, hope, dream, and above all scream and scribble almost the opposite. In fact, one already reads their watchword of the future. Quote, free society, unquote, on all tables and walls. Free society, indeed, indeed. But you know, gentlemen, sure enough, whereof one builds it? Out of wooden iron? Out of the famous wooden iron? And not even out of wooden. Three five seven, the old problem, quote, what is German? Unquote. Let us count up apart the real acquisitions of philosophical thought, for which we have to thank German intellects. 
are they in any allowable sense to be counted also to the credit of the whole race can we say that they are at the same time the work of the quote, german soul unquote, or at least a symptom of it in the sense in which we are accustomed to think for example of plato's ideomania his almost religious madness for form as an event and an evidence of the quote, greek soul unquote. or would the reverse perhaps be true were they so individual so much an exception to the spirit of the race as were for example goethe's paganism with a good conscience or as bismarck's machiavellism was with a good conscience his so-called practical politics unquote, in germany did philosophers perhaps even go counter to the need of the quote, german soul unquote. in short were the german philosophers really philosophical germans I call to mind three cases. Firstly, Leibniz's incomparable insight, with which he obtained the advantage not only over Descartes, but over all who had philosophized up to his time. That consciousness is only an accident of mental representation, and not its necessary and essential attribute that consequently what we call consciousness only constitutes a state of our spiritual and psychical world paren perhaps a morbid state end paren and is far from being that world itself is there anything german in this thought this profundity of which has not yet been exhausted is there reason to think that a person of the latin race would not readily have stumbled on this reversal of the apparent for it is a reversal let us call to mind secondly the immense note of interrogation which kant wrote after the notion of causality not that he at all doubted its legitimacy like hume on the contrary he began cautiously to define the domain within which this notion had significance generally paren we have not even yet got finished with the marking out of these limits and paren let us take thirdly the astonishingly hit of hegel who stuck at no logical usage or fastidiousness when he ventured to teach that the conceptions of kinds develop out of one another with which theory the thinkers in europe were prepared for the last great scientific movement for darwinism for without hegel there would have been no darwin is there anything german in this hegelian innovation which first introduced the decisive conception of evolution into science yes without doubt we feel that there is something of ourselves quote, discovered unquote, and divined in all three cases we are thankful for it and at the same time surprised each of these three principles is a thoughtful piece of german self-confession self-understanding and self-knowledge 
we feel with Leibniz that quote, our inner world is far richer, ampler, and more concealed. Unquote. As Germans were doubtful, like Kant, about the ultimate validity of scientific knowledge of nature, and in general about whatever can be known causaliter, the knowable as such now appears to us of less worth. We Germans should still have been Hegelians, even though there has never been a Hegel inasmuch as we, paren, in contradistinction to all Latin peoples, en paren, instinctively attribute to becoming, to evolution, a profounder significance and higher value than to that which, quote, is, unquote. We hardly believe at all in the validity of the concept quote, being. Unquote. This is all the more the case because we are not inclined to concede to our human logic that it is logic in itself, that it is the only kind of logic. Paren, we should rather like, on the contrary, to convince ourselves that it is only a special case and perhaps one of the strangest and most stupid and paren a fourth question would be whether also schopenhauer with his pessimism that is to say the problem of the worth of existence had to be a german i think not the event after which this problem was to be expected with certainty, so that an astronomer of the soul could have calculated the day and the hour of it, namely, the decay of the belief in the Christian God, the victory of scientific atheism, is a universal European event in which all races are to have their share of service and honour. On the contrary, it has to be ascribed precisely to the Germans, those with whom Schopenhauer was contemporary, that they delayed this victory of atheism longest, and endangered it most. Hegel especially was its retarder par excellence, in virtue of the grandiose attempt with which he made to persuade us of the divinity of existence, with the help at the very last of our sixth sense, quote, the historical sense. Unquote. As philosopher, Schopenhauer was the first avowed and inflexible atheist we Germans have had. His hostility to Hegel had here its background. The non divinity of existence was regarded by him as something understood, palpable, indisputable. He always lost his philosophical composure and got into a passion when he saw anyone hesitate and beat about the bush here. It is at this point that his thorough uprightness of character comes in. Unconditionally, honest atheism is precisely the preliminary condition for his raising the problem as a final and hard-won victory of the European conscience as the most prolific act of two thousand years discipline to truth which in the end no longer tolerates the lie of the belief in a god one sees what has really gained the victory over the christian god christian morality itself the conception of veracity taken ever more strictly 
the confessional subtlety of the Christian conscience, translated and sublimated to a scientific conscience, to intellectual purity at any price. To look upon nature as if it were a proof of the goodness and care of a god, to interpret history in honour of a divine reason, as a constant testimony to the moral order in the world and a moral final purpose to explain personal experiences as pious men have long enough explained them as if everything were a dispensation or intimidation of providence something planned and sent on behalf of the salvation of the soul all that is now past it has conscience against it it is regarded by all the most acute consciences as disreputable and dishonourable, as mendaciousness, feminism, weakness and cowardice. By virtue of this severity, if by anything we are good Europeans, the heirs of Europe's longest and bravest self-conquest, when we thus reject the Christian interpretation and condemn its quote, significance unquote, as a forgery, we are immediately confronted in a striking manner with the Schopenhauerian question, has existence then a significance at all? The question which will require a couple of centuries even to be completely heard in all its profundity. Schopenhauer's own answer to this question was, if I may be forgiven for saying so, a premature, juvenile reply, a mere compromise, a stoppage and sticking to the very same Christian ascetic, moral perspectives, the belief in which had got notice to quit, along with the belief in God. But he raised the question, as a good European, as we have said, and not as a German. Or did the Germans prove at last by the way in which they seized on the Schopenhauerian question, their inner connection and relationship to him, their preparation for his problem, and their need of it, that there has been thinking and printing even in Germany since Schopenhauer's time on the problem raised by him, it was late enough, does not at all suffice to enable us to decide in favour of this closer relationship. One could, on the contrary, lay great stress on the peculiar awkwardness of this post-Schopenhauerian pessimism. Germans evidently do not behave themselves there as in their element. I do not at all allude here to Eduard von Hartmann. On the contrary, my old suspicion is not vanished, even at present, that he is too clever for us. I mean to say that as arrant rogue from the very first, he did not perhaps make merry solely over German pessimism, and that in the end he might probably, quote, bequeath, unquote, to them the truth as to how far a person could bamboozle the Germans themselves in the age of bubble companies. But further, are we perhaps to reckon to the honour of Germans the old humming-top, Banzen, 
who all his life spun about with the greatest pleasure about his realistically dialectic misery and quote, personal ill luck end quote. was that german paren in passing i recommend his writings for the purpose of which i myself have used them as anti-pessimistic fare especially on account of his elegantia psychologica which it seems to me could alleviate even the most constipated body and soul end paren or would it be proper to count such dilettante and old maids as the mawkish apostle of virginity mainlander among the genuine germans after all he was probably a jew paren all jews become mawkish when they moralize and paren neither banzen nor mainlander nor even Eduard von Hartmann gave us a reliable grasp of the question whether the pessimism of Schopenhauer, paren, his frightened glance into an undeified world, which has become stupid, blind, deranged and problematic, his honourable fright, end paren, was not only an exceptional case among Germans, but a German event while everything else which stands in the foreground, like our valiant politics and our joyful jingoism, paren, which decidedly enough regards everything with reference to a principle sufficiently unphilosophical, quote, Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, end quote. Translator's footnote, quote, Germany, Germany above all, end quote. The first line of the German national song, end footnote. Consequently, subspecies specii, namely the German species, end paren, testifies very plainly to the contrary. No, the Germans of today are not pessimists, and Schopenhauer was a pessimist. I repeat it once more as a good European, and not as a German. 358 the peasant revolt of the spirit we europeans find ourselves in view of an immense world of ruins where some things still tower aloft while other objects stand mouldering and dismal where most things however already lie on the ground picturesque enough where were there ever finer ruins overgrown with weeds large and small it is the church which is the city of decay. We see the religious organization of Christianity shaken to its deepest foundations. The belief in God is overthrown. The belief in the Christian ascetic ideal is now fighting its last fight. Such a long and solidly built work as Christianity. It was the last construction of the Romans could not of course be demolished all at once every sort of earthquake had to shake it every sort of spirit which perforates digs gnaws and moulders had to assist in the work of destruction but that which is strangest is that those who have exerted themselves most to retain and preserve christianity
have been precisely those who did most to destroy it. The Germans. It seems that the Germans do not understand the essence of a church. Are they not spiritual enough, or not distrustful enough to do so? In any case, the structure of the church rests on a southern freedom and liberality of spirit, and similarly on a southern suspicion of nature, man and spirit. It rests on a knowledge of man, an experience of man, entirely different from what the North has had. The Lutheran Reformation, in all its length and breadth, was the indignation of the simple against something quote, complicated. Unquote. To speak cautiously, it was a coarse, honest misunderstanding, in which much is to be forgiven. People did not understand the mode of expression of a victorious church, and only saw corruption. They misunderstood the noble scepticism, the luxury of scepticism, and toleration which every victorious, self-confident power permits. One overlooks the fact readily enough at present that as regards all cardinal questions concerning power, Luther was badly endowed. He was fatally short-sighted, superficial and imprudent. And above all, as a man sprung from the people, he lacked all the hereditary qualities of a ruling caste, and all the instincts for power, so that his work, his intention to restore the work of the Romans, merely became involuntarily and unconsciously the commencement of a work of destruction. He unravelled, he tore asunder with honest rage, where the old spider had woven longest and most carefully. He gave the sacred books into the hands of every one. They thereby got at last into the hands of the philologists, that is to say, the annihilators of every belief based on books. He demolished the conception of, quote, the church, unquote, in that he repudiated the belief in the inspiration of the councils. For only under the supposition that the inspiring spirit, which had founded the church, still lives in it, still builds it, still goes on building its house, does the conception of, quote, the church, unquote, retain its power. He gave back to the priest sexual intercourse, but three-fourths of reverence for which the people, paren, and above all the women of the people, end paren, are capable, rests on the belief that an exceptional man in this respect will also be an exceptional man in other respects. It is precisely here that the popular belief in something superhuman in man in a miracle, in the saving God in man, had its most subtle and insidious advocate. After Luther had given a wife to the priest, he had to take from him auricular confession. That was psychologically right, but thereby he practically did away with the Christian priest himself, whose profoundest utility had ever consisted in his being a sacred ear 
a silent well, and a grave for secrets. Quote, Every man his own priest, end quote. Behind such formulae and their bucolic slyness, there was concealed in Luther the profoundest hatred for quote, the higher man, unquote, and the rule of quote, the higher man, unquote, as the church had conceived them. Luther disowned an ideal which he did not know how to attain, while he seemed to combat and detest the degeneration thereof. As a matter of fact, he, the impossible monk, repudiated the rule of the hominis religiosi. He consequently brought about precisely the same thing within the ecclesiastical social order that he combated so impatiently in the civic order, namely, a, quote, peasant insurrection, unquote. As to all that grew out of his reformation afterwards, good and bad, which can at present be almost counted up. Who would be naive enough to praise or blame Luther simply on account of these results? He is innocent of all. He knew not what he did. The art of making the European spirit shallower, especially in the North, or more good-natured, if people would rather hear it designated by a moral expression, undoubtedly took a clever step in advance in the Lutheran Reformation. And similarly, there grew out of it the mobility and disquietude of the spirit, its thirst for independence, its belief in the right to freedom, and its, quote, naturalness, unquote. If people wished to ascribe to the Reformation, in the last instance, the merit of having prepared and favoured that which we at present honour as, quote, modern science, unquote, they must of course add that it is also accessory to bringing about the degeneration of the modern scholar, with his lack of reverence, of shame, of profundity and that it is also responsible for all naive candour, and plain dealing in matters of knowledge, in short, for the plebeianism of the spirit, which is peculiar to the last two centuries, and from which even pessimism hitherto has not in any way delivered us. Quote, modern ideas, unquote, also belong to this peasant insurrection of the north against the colder, more ambiguous, more suspicious spirit of the south, which has built itself its greatest monument in the Christian church. Let us not forget in the end what a church is, and especially in contrast to every quote, state, unquote. A church is above all an authoritative organization, which secures to the most spiritual men the highest rank, and believes in the power of spirituality so far as to forbid all grosser appliances of authority. Through this alone the church is under all circumstances a nobler institution than the state. 359. Vengeance on Intellect and Other Backgrounds of Morality 
morality where do you think it has its most dangerous and rancorous advocates there for example is an ill-constituted man who does not possess enough of intellect to be able to take pleasure in it and just enough of culture to be aware of the fact bored satiated and a self-despiser besides being cheated unfortunately by some hereditary property out of the last consolation the quote, blessing of labor unquote, the self-forgetfulness in quote, the day's work unquote. one who is thoroughly ashamed of his existence perhaps also harboring some vices and who on the other hand paren, by means of books to which he has no right or more intellectual society than he can digest end paren, cannot help vitiating himself more and more and making himself vain and irritable such a thoroughly poisoned man for intellect becomes poisonous culture becomes poison possession becomes poison solitude becomes poison to such ill-constituted beings gets at last into a habitual state of vengeance and inclination to vengeance what do you think he finds necessary absolutely necessary in order to give himself the appearance in his own eyes of superiority over more intellectual men so as to give himself the delight of perfect revenge at least in imagination it is always morality that he requires one may wager on it always the big moral words always the high-sounding words justice wisdom holiness virtue always the stoicism of gestures paren how well stoicism hides what one does not possess End paren always the mantle of wise silence of affability of gentleness and whatever else the idealist mantle is called in which the incurable self despises and also the incurably conceited walk about let me not be misunderstood out of such born enemies of the spirit there rises now and then that rare specimen of humanity who is honoured by the people under the name of saint or sage. It is out of such men that there arise those prodigies of morality that make a noise, that make history. Saint Augustine was one of these men. Fear of the intellect, vengeance on the intellect. Oh, how often have these powerfully impelling vices become the roots of virtues, yea, virtue itself? And asking the question among ourselves, even the philosopher's pretension to wisdom, which has occasionally been made here and there on earth, the maddest and the most immodest of all pretensions, has it not always been, in India as well as Greece, above all a means of concealment? Sometimes, perhaps, from the point of view of education, which hallows so many lies, 
it has been a tender regard for growing and evolving persons, for disciples who have often to be guarded against themselves by means of the belief in a person, paren, by means of an error, and paren. In most cases, however, it is a means of concealment for a philosopher, behind which he seeks protection, owing to exhaustion, age, chilliness, or hardening, as a feeling of the approaching end, as a sagacity of the instinct which animals have before their death. They go apart, remain at rest, choose solitude, creep into caves, become wise. What? Wisdom, a means of concealment of the philosopher from intellect? A 360. Two kinds of causes which are confounded. It seems to me one of my most essential steps and advances that I have learned to distinguish the cause of an action generally from the cause of action in a particular manner, say, in this direction, with this aim. The first kind of cause is a quantum of stored-up force, which waits to be used in some manner, for some purpose. The second kind of cause, on the contrary, is something quite unimportant in comparison with the first, an insignificant hazard for the most part, in conformity with which the quantum of force in question quote, discharges unquote, itself in some unique and definite manner, the lucifer match in relation to the barrel of gunpowder. Among those insignificant hazards and lucifer matches, I count all the so-called aims, unquote, and similarly the still more so-called occupations unquote, of people. They are relatively optional, arbitrary, and almost indifferent in relation to the immense quantum of force which presses on, as we have said, to be used up in any way whatever. One generally looks at the matter in a different manner. One is accustomed to see the impelling force precisely in the aim. Paren, object, calling, etc. End paren. According to a primeval error. But it is only the directing force. The steerman and the steam have thereby been confounded. And yet, it is not even always the steersman, the directing force, is the, quote, aim, unquote, the, quote, purpose, unquote, not often enough only an extenuating pretext, an additional self-binding of conceit, which does not wish it to be said that the ship follows the steam into which it has accidentally run, that it, quote, wishes, unquote, to go that way because it must go that way? That it has a direction, sure enough, but not a steersman? We still require a criticism of the conception of, quote, purpose, unquote. 361. The Problem of the Actor the problem of the actor has disquieted me the longest. 
I was uncertain, paren, and am sometimes so still, end paren, whether one could not get at the dangerous conception of, quote, artist, unquote, a conception hitherto treated with unpardonable leniency from this point of view. Falsity with a good conscience, delight in dissimulation breaking forth as power, pushing aside, overflowing, and sometimes extinguishing the so-called character, unquote. the inner longing to play a role, to assume a mask, to put on an appearance, a surplus of capacity for adaptations of every kind, which can no longer gratify themselves in the service of the nearest and narrowest utility. All that perhaps does not pertain solely to the actor in himself. Such an instinct would develop most readily in families of the lower class of the people, who have had to pass their lives in absolute dependence, under shifting pressure and constraint, who, paren, to accommodate themselves to their conditions, to adapt themselves always to new circumstances, and paren, had again and again to pass themselves off and represent themselves as different persons. Thus having gradually qualified themselves to adjust the mantle to every wind, thereby almost becoming the mantle itself, as masters of the embodied and incarnate art of eternally playing the game of hide-and-seek, which one calls mimicry among the animals. Until at last, this ability, stored up from generation to generation, has become domineering, irrational and intractable till as instinct it begins to command the other instincts and begets the actor the quote, artist unquote, paren, the buffoon the pantaloon the jack pudding the fool and the clown in the first place also the classical type of servant gil blas for in such types one has the precursors of the artist and enough even of the quote, genius unquote, en paren. also under higher social conditions there grows under similar pressure a similar species of men only the histrionic instinct is there for the most part held strictly in check by another instinct for example among quote, diplomatists end quote. For the rest, I should think that it would always be open to a good diplomatist to become a good actor on the stage, provided his dignity quote, allowed unquote, it. As regards the Jews, however, the adaptable people par excellence, we should, in conformity to this line of thought, expect to see among them a world historical institution from the very beginning for the rearing of actors a genuine breeding place for actors and in fact the question is very pertinent just now what good actor at present is not a jew the jew also as a born literary man as the actual ruler of the european press exercises this power on the basis of his histrionic capacity 
for the literary man is essentially an actor. He plays the part of, quote, expert, unquote, of, quote, specialist, unquote. Finally, women. If we consider the whole history of women, are they not obliged, first of all, and above all, to be actresses? If we listen to doctors who have hypnotized women, or, finally, if we love them, and let ourselves be, quote, hypnotized, unquote, by them, what is always divulged thereby? That they, quote, give themselves airs, unquote, even when they, quote, give themselves, unquote. Woman is so artistic. 362. My belief in the virilizing of Europe. We owe it to Napoleon, Paren, and not at all to the French Revolution, which had in view the quote, fraternity unquote, of the nations and the florid interchange of good graces among people generally, end paren, that several warlike centuries, which have not had their like in past history, may now follow one another. In short, that we have entered upon the classical age of war. War at the same time scientific and popular, on the grandest scale. Paren, as regards to means, talents, and discipline, end paren, to which all the coming millenniums will look back with envy and awe as the work of perfection. For the national movement out of which this martial glory springs is only the counter-choc against Napoleon and would not have existed without him. To him, consequently, one will one day be able to attribute the fact that man in Europe has again got the upper hand of the merchant and the Philistine, perhaps even of, quote, woman, unquote, also, who has become pampered owing to Christianity and the extravagant spirit of the 18th century and still more owing to, quote, modern ideas, unquote. Napoleon, who saw in modern ideas, and accordingly in civilization, something like a personal enemy, has by this hostility proved himself to be one of the greatest continuators of the Renaissance. He has brought to the surface a whole block of the ancient character, the decisive block, perhaps, the block of granite. And who knows but that this block of ancient character will in the end get the upper hand of the national movement, and will have to make itself in a positive sense the heir and continuator of Napoleon, who, as one knows, wanted one Europe, which was to be the mistress of the world. 363 how each sex has its prejudice about love. Notwithstanding all the concessions which I am inclined to make to the monogamic prejudice, I will never admit that we should speak of equal rights in the love of man and women. There are no such equal rights. The reason is that man and woman understand something different by the term love 
and it belongs to the conditions of love in both sexes that the one sex does not presuppose the same feeling the same conception of quote, love unquote, in the other sex what woman understands by love is clear enough complete surrender paren, not merely devotion in paren, of soul and body without any motive without any reservation rather with shame and terror at the thought of a devotion restricted by clauses or associated with conditions in this absence of conditions her love is precisely a faith woman has no other man when he loves a woman wants precisely this love from her he is consequently as regards himself furthest removed from the prerequisites of feminine love granted however that there should also be men to whom on their side the demand for complete devotion is not unfamiliar well they are really not men a man who loves like a woman becomes thereby a slave a woman however who loves like a woman becomes thereby a more perfect woman the passion of woman in its unconditional renunciation of its own rights presupposes in fact that there does not exist on the other side an equal pathos an equal desire for renunciation for if both renounced themselves out of love there would result well i don't know what perhaps a horror vacui woman wants to be taken and accepted as a possession she wishes to be merged in the conceptions of quote, possession unquote, and quote, possessed unquote. consequently she wants one who takes who does not offer and gives himself away but who reversely is rather to be made richer in quote, himself unquote, by the increase of power happiness and faith which the woman herself gives to him woman gives herself man takes her i do not think one will get over this natural contrast by any social contract or with the very best will to do justice however desirable it may be to avoid bringing the severe frightful enigmatical and unmoral elements of this antagonism constantly before our eyes for love regarded as complete great and full is nature and as nature is to all eternity something quote, unmoral unquote. fidelity is accordingly included in women's love it follows from the definition thereof with man fidelity may readily result in consequence of his love perhaps as gratitude or idiosyncrasy of taste and so-called elective affinity but it does not belong to the essence of his love and indeed so little that one might almost be entitled to speak of natural opposition between love and fidelity in man whose love is just a desire to possess and not a renunciation and giving away the desire to possess however comes to an end every time with the possession
as a matter of fact it is the more subtle and jealous thirst for possession in the man paren who is rarely and tardily convinced of having this quote, possession unquote, end paren, which makes his love continue in that case it is even possible that the love may increase after the surrender he does not readily own that a woman has nothing more to quote, surrender unquote, to him. 364. The Anchorite Speaks The art of associating with men rests essentially on one's skilfulness, paren, which presupposes long exercise, and paren, in accepting a repast in taking a repast in the cuisine of which one has no confidence, provided one comes to the table with the hunger of a wolf, everything is easy. Paren, quote, the worst society gives the experience, end quote, as Mephistopheles says, end paren. But one has not got this wolf's hunger when one needs it, alas! How difficult are our fellow men to digest! First principle, to stake one's courage as in a misfortune, to seize boldly, to admire oneself at the same time, to take one's repugnance between one's teeth, to cram down one's disgust. Second principle, to, quote, improve, unquote, one's fellow man, by praise, for example, so that he may begin to sweat out of his self-complacency, or to seize a tuft of his good or, quote, interesting, unquote, qualities, and pull at it till one gets his whole virtue out, and can put him under the folds of it. Third principle, self-hypnotism to fix one's eye on the object of one's intercourse, as on a glass knob, until, ceasing to feel pleasure or pain thereat, one falls asleep unobserved, becomes rigid, and acquires a fixed pose. A household recipe used in married life and friendship, well tested and prized as indispensable, but not yet scientifically formulated, its proper name is patience. 365. The Anchorite Speaks Once More We also have intercourse with, quote, men, unquote. We also modestly put on the clothes in which people know us, paren, as such, end paren, respect us and seek us, and we thereby mingle in society that is to say, among the disguised who do not wish to be so called. We also do like all prudent masqueraders, and courteously dismiss all curiosity, which has not reference merely to our, quote, clothes, unquote. There are, however, other modes and artifices for, quote, going about, unquote, among men, and associating with them. For example, as a ghost, which is very advisable when one wants to scare them and get rid of them easily. An example, a person grasps at us 
and is unable to seize us, that frightens him. Or we enter by a closed door, or when the lights are extinguished, or after we are dead. The latter is the artifice of posthumous men, par excellence. Paren, quote, what? Unquote, said such a one once impatiently. Quote, Do you think we should delight in enduring this strangeness, coldness, death stillness about us, all this subterranean, hidden, dim, undiscovered solitude, which is called life with us, and might just as well be called death, if we were not conscious of what will arise out of us? and that only after our death shall we attain to our life and become living. Ah, very living, we posthumous men! End quote. End paren. 366. At the sight of a learned book. We do not belong to those who only get their thoughts from books, or at the promptings of books. It is our custom to think in the open air, walking, leaping, climbing, or dancing on lonesome mountains by preference, or close to the sea, where even the paths become thoughtful. Our first question concerning the value of a book, a man, or a piece of music is, can it walk, or still better, can it dance? We seldom read, we do not read the worse for that. Oh, how quickly do we divine how a person has arrived at his thoughts, whether sitting before an ink bottle with compressed belly and head bent over the paper. Oh, how quickly we are then done with his book! The constipated bowels betray themselves. One may wager on it, just as the atmosphere of the room, the ceiling of the room, the smallness of the room betray themselves. These were my feelings, as I was closing a straightforward, learned book, thankfully, very thankfully, but also relieved. In the book of a learned man, there is almost always something oppressive and oppressed. The, quote, specialist, unquote, comes to light somewhere, his ardour, his seriousness, his wrath, his overestimation of the nook in which he sits and spins, his hump. Every specialist has his hump. A learned book also always mirrors the distorted soul. Every trade distorts. Look at our friends again, with whom we have spent our youth, after they have taken possession of their science. Alas, how the reverse has always taken place. Alas! how they themselves are now forever occupied and possessed by their science. Growing into their nook, crumpled unrecognizably, constrained and deprived of their equilibrium, emaciated and angular everywhere, perfectly round only in one place. We are moved and silent when we find them so. Every handcraft, granting even that it has a golden floor, Translator's footnote, an allusion to the German proverb, Handwerk hat einen golden Boden, and translator's footnote, has also a leaden ceiling above it, 
which presses and presses on the soul till it is pressed into a strange and distorted shape there is nothing to alter here we do not think that it is at all possible to obviate this disfigurement by any educational artifice whatever every kind of perfection is purchased at a high price on earth where everything is perhaps purchased too dear one is an expert in one's department by a price of being also a victim of one's department but you want to have it otherwise quote, more reasonable unquote. above all more convenient is it not so my dear contemporaries very well but then you will also immediately get something different that is to say instead of the craftsman and expert the literary man the versatile quote, many-sided literateur who to be sure lacks the hump not taking account of the hump or bow which he makes before you as the shopman of the intellect and the quote, porter unquote, of culture the literateur who is really nothing but quote, represents unquote, almost everything he plays and quote, represents unquote, the expert he also takes upon himself in all modesty to see that he is paid honoured and celebrated in this position no my learned friends i bless you even on account of your humps and also because like me you despise the literateurs and parasites of culture and because you do not know how to make merchandise of your intellect and have so many opinions which cannot be expressed in money value and because you do not represent anything which you are not because your sole desire is to become masters of your craft because your reverence of every kind of mastership and ability and repudiate with the most relentless scorn everything of a make-believe half genuine dressed up virtuoso demagogic histrionic nature in literis et artibus all that which does not convince you by its absolute genuineness of discipline and preparatory training or cannot stand your test paren every genius does not help a person to get over such a defect however well it may be able to deceive with regard to it one understands this if one has looked closely at our most gifted painters and musicians who almost without exception can artificially and supplementarily appropriate to themselves paren, by means of artful inventions of style makeshifts and even principles and paren, the appearance of that genuineness that solidity of training and culture to be sure without thereby deceiving themselves without thereby imposing perpetual silence on their bad consciences for you know well enough that all great modern artists suffer from bad consciences End paren. three six seven how one has to distinguish first of all in works of art 
everything that is thought, versified, painted and composed, yea, even built or moulded, belongs to monologic art or to art before witnesses. Under the latter, there is also to be included the apparent monologic art which involves the belief in God, the whole lyric of prayer. Because for a pious man there is no solitude, we, the godless, who have been the first to devise this invention. I know of no profounder distinction in all the perspective of the artist than this. Whether he looks at his growing work of art, paren at quote, himself, unquote, end paren, with the eye of the witness, or whether he quote, has forgotten the world, unquote, as the essential thing in all monologic art, it rests on forgetting. It is the music of forgetting. 368. The Cynic Speaks My objections to Wagner's music are physiological objections. Why should I therefore begin by disguising them under ascetic formulae? My quote, point, unquote, is that I can no longer breathe freely when this music begins to operate on me. My foot immediately becomes indignant at it and rebels. For what it needs is time, dance and march. It demands first of all, from music, the ecstasies which are in good walking, striding, leaping and dancing. But does not my stomach, my heart, my blood, and my bowels also protest? Do I not become hoarse unawares under its influence? And then I ask myself what it is really that my body wants from music generally. I believe it wants to have relief, so that all animal functions should be accelerated by means of light bold, unfettered, self-assured rhythms, so that brazen, leaden life should be gilded by means of golden, good, tender harmonies. My melancholy would fain rest its head in the hiding places and abysses of perfection. For this reason I need music. What do I care for the drama? What do I care for the spasms of its moral ecstasies, in which the, quote, people, unquote, have their satisfaction? What do I care for the whole pantomimic hocus-pocus of the actor? It will now be divined that I am essentially anti-theatrical at heart. But Wagner, on the contrary, was essentially a man of the stage and an actor, the most enthusiastic mummer-worshipper that has ever existed, even among musicians. And let it be said, in passing, that if Wagner's theory was that, quote, drama is the object and music is only the means to it, unquote, his practice, on the contrary, from beginning to end, has been to the effect that, quote, attitude is the object, drama, and even music can never be anything else but a means to that, end quote. Music as a means of elucidating, strengthening and intensifying dramatic poses and the actor's appeal to the senses, 
and the Wagnerian drama only an opportunity for a number of dramatic attitudes. Wagner possessed, along with all other instincts, the dictatorial instinct of a great actor in all and everything, and, as has been said, also as a musician. I once made this clear with some trouble to a thoroughgoing Wagnerian, and I had reasons for adding, quote, Do be a little more honest with yourself. We are not now in the theatre. In the theatre we are only honest in the mass. As individuals we lie, we belie even ourselves. We leave ourselves at home when we go to the theatre. We there renounce the right to our own tongue and choice, to our taste, and even to our courage as we possess it and practice it within our own four walls, in relation to God and man. No one takes his finest taste in art into the theatre with him, not even the artist who works for the theatre. Their one is people, public, herd, women, Pharisee, voting animal, democrat, neighbour, and fellow-creature. There even the most personal conscience succumbs to the levelling charm of the quote, great multitude, unquote. There stupidity operates as wantonness and contagion. There the neighbour rules. There one becomes a neighbour. Paren, I have forgotten to mention what my enlightened Wagnerian answered to my physiological objections. Quote, so the fact is that you are really not healthy enough for our music? End quote. End paren. End of Book Fifth, We Fearless Ones, Part Two.